go to the gym, you know, early in the morning, normally around Sundays, they don't open till six. So I go at six o'clock in the morning and I, uh, I go to the, the steam room and then the, the sauna and I was in the sauna and, uh, I stood up and just was walking across the planks and they have a sprinkler system in there and it's got this thing that, that hangs down. It's like a little cage and I plumb almost knocked myself out this morning, hit that thing and, uh. It was, uh, man, I saw stars, I sat down, and I thought, Lord, help me out of here, because i got to preach, you know, and there'd be no place worse to uh, pass out than in a, uh, in a sauna, a dry sauna, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> be the worst place in the whole world to be laying in there and somebody discover you all like a prune, you know, shriveled up and dried up, so, uh, but by God's grace, uh, it didn't knock me out, and I'm here this morning, and uh, I want to talk about seeing the invisible God this morning about seeing the invisible God. We think of the time that we live in, the friends that we've witnessed to, and we all said it at one time or another in our life, if there's a God, then show me God. I don't see him. Come on, amen? Right? And when we share about our relationship with God to others, oftentimes, what do you hear as a statement? I don't see God. Where's God at? Right? Where's God at when... Wars are going on. Where's God at when all the calamity is going on in the world? Where's God at when tragedy strikes a child or an individual? And tragedy comes. If there's a God, where's he at, right? People would say that he's invisible. You can't see him. If you will, I believe that God is visible all around us. And scripture outlines that very, very clearly. If you'll turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to go there. I don't have the scriptures on the screen for you today. I do want you to bring your Bibles or your iPads or your iPhones and open the scriptures up and, uh, and be using that. Sometimes we use the overhead, sometimes we don't. That keeps you in your own word. Amen? One pastor told me, they started putting the scriptures up every week on the screens and uh, the outcome of it, people stopped reading their Bibles. And they waited till they got to church on Sundays to see the scriptures. And that is not a healthy way to go, is it? But Romans 1, if, and we're going to start at verse 16 here. Uh, I want to give a little bit of context to verse 20. And Paul the Apostle goes into talking about not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Say revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now listen to this. For the wrath of God is revealed. Say revealed. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest. Say manifest. Here's what that simply means. It's visible. It manifests. Right? It's something you can see. Listen to this. It says, manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Let me read that again. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. Here's the interesting thing. Before I got saved, 
I always ask the question because somehow I heard the gospel. I heard about Jesus' existence, that God sent his son. And because I heard the gospel, I wondered, is God real? The first time somebody told me about Jesus, my thoughts ran to, well, I don't see him. I don't see God. But when I heard the gospel, it start, started to make me ask the question, is God real? I don't see him. The Bible also says that if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now say revealed and say veiled. Here's what revealed means. I can hold this up and you know that under the towel here, right, there's another one that exists just like it, right? Isn't that right? Nope. It looks like that. Right. You know that underneath this, because I hold this up, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So how is it revealed? How is it that we see the invisible God? How do we come to see the invisible God? Because somebody preaches the gospel, someone shares the gospel, and it reveals, it unveils the gospel. It is seen in the lives of others. It's only when I've seen God working in other people's lives that I'm convinced that maybe there is a God. I still have the question because, well, I don't see him, so does he really exist? Listen, go back to, uh, uh, we're going to hit verse 19 again, because what may be known of God, what may be, say maybe, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Watch as it goes on, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, or his, here, here, here's what that means, divine nature, God's divine nature, his character, who he is, the attributes of God exist in the divine nature of God. That it's been revealed in everything that we see around us. It says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without, say without, they're without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their own thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. This is mankind's plight. Professing to be wise. Let me give you some scenarios of, of wise here. Some, some ideas of being wise in our own eyes, if you will. What we can see, touch, feel. What appeals to us, we embrace. But the God that is invisible, we don't tend to run to and embrace and glorify him. Because, well, where is he at? He's all around us in all the creation that exists. Let me example here. Um. Pluralism. Can anybody tell me what pluralism is? Huh? Many gods. There's, there's many roads. There's many ways for us to make it to heaven, if you will. Or, if you don't believe there's a heaven, then there's the road for you. 
that says, well, there's no heaven, and after this life, it's, it's all gone. So what's it matter? So pluralism is the, the, the many that, that, well, you believe your way, I'll believe mine. Now, there's another term that comes into play in our, in our time in that, and that would be relativism. Somebody tell me what relativism would be. What's that? Perception's reality. Well, that's your perception, but that's not my perception. This is my perception. So somebody that believes in Buddha, their perception is Buddha's the one that they need to go to, to worship. Right? Hindus have what? There's, there's, a, uh, there's a manifestation of the many gods, right? Hinduism embraces all gods. Right? Hindus are, are very open to receive Jesus because they just kind of add him to their collection, if you understand. So when we see that kind of uh, religion being pumped into this world through man's pursuit of worshiping, watch, we'll go and read a little bit further and you'll see where it, where it comes into play here. And it says this, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. When you... Uh, let's take uh, uh, here. Anybody ever been to an Indian reservation? You ever seen a totem pole? What do you see on the totem pole? Anyone? An eagle, bear, what else? A wolf. See all kinds of animals on there. And what happens is that's actually, that's, uh, you go back to um, 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 Gideon's time and they had asteroids. And they set them up and that's what it was, a totem pole. And they had all these images on there. That they worship. They bow down to creation rather than the one true God. Now we've studied worship here. And worship means what? To bow. To bring oneself low. And that man chose to worship the creation rather than the creator. There's the challenge. Let me tell you the one way to see God. The invisible God. Is worship like we we're worshiping that we bow down and we begin to worship him and we sense there's there, we sense his presence come among us the bible says he inhabits the praises of his people he's still invisible but he manifests himself and shows himself as real uh let me take you to um yeah i want to do this this way all right, so for us to see God, we have to see his love. Anybody that's ever experienced the gospel being preached and it's law, legalistic, you got to do this and you got to do that. How many of you received the gospel that way before, right? Where it was, here's the list of rules, keep this, do this, do that. And if you do these things, you'll be okay. Every other religion on the face of the planet has rules too. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, and you'll be okay. The difference between Christianity and all the religions, Christianity is not really a religion, it's a relationship. And anybody that's come to know Christ understands that they step through that place that, that the gospel is no longer veiled because you're not perishing, you're born again. You begin to see something that you couldn't see before. You sense something that you couldn't sense before. 
You once were lost and now you're found. You were dead, but now you're alive. All those, if you will, dichotomies that exist, that everything that Jesus, you know, came and taught, it really was a, like, this way, not that way. Love your enemy. I mean, who finds it easy to love their enemy, right? You want to see the invisible God at work, you'll see it in somebody who knows how to love their enemy. So love is a very key thing because when people see us love our enemies or they see us love people that have wronged us, they see those things at work within us, it's not our natural bent. We don't tend to run to forgive or, or love on people that we find being our enemies. Would you agree with that? Say amen if you agree with that. It's like, you know, who's ever had an enemy? Man, you all good people. You don't have any enemies out there. Right? <laughs> you ever had somebody you just, you know, really struggled with dealing with, you know, hate in your heart towards? Right? That's an enemy. But you, when you can love that person, it's the invisible God at work in you. It's called agape love. Let me read something to you here from 1 John 4, 12 through 16. Is that if we want to be the kind of people that see God, we've got to give God access to our lives to work through us for the benefit of others. That's our gospel. That's the word we preach to others. It's the message we share is that God loves them. We'll get there in a second to John three sixteen, which we all know so well. But I want to read from 1 John 4, 12 through 16. And it says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen, say seen, and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God and he, uh, excuse me, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. When you think about it, when you've experienced love, the love of God through another person, what happens is it's attractive. There's nothing about mistreatment or hate or anger, you know, or rejection. Does anybody run to that? Anybody run to embrace that? Not one of us in here are like, yeah, that's great. Let me, I want more of that, right? I, I would venture to say that all of us have lost or broken relationships as a result of those things taking place. And the relationships that are maintained in our life has been a result of love working in those relationships. Would you agree with that? Y'all in here this morning? Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So there's uh, two actions that I would submit to us that if we want to be the kind of people, we've seen God because his love has been manifest to us. Someone's witnessed that in our life. Someone shared that in our life and we said, I want that. We agreed that it's what we needed, and as a result of yielding ourselves and believing that Jesus came, that God sent the Son, just as we read, and that he died on that cross because of his love for us, that that was manifest in our life. And because we confessed that, believed in our heart, and confessed with our mouth, 
Our eyes was open to see something that we did not see prior to that moment. Our eyes was open to see in the spirit. It was open to see through the eyes of the spirit, not through the eyes of flesh. Not natural things, even though all the natural things speak of the attributes of God. When you see the, the sunrise in the morning, right? How many of you, after coming to Christ, when you see the sunrise, you have a thought of the resurrection of Christ? I have thoughts of that all the time now. That the sun rose from the dead, and because he rose from the dead, that I too will be resurrected in that final day. But you take someone that's not born again, they don't think about Jesus rising from the dead, and one day they can be resurrected from the dead. They just see a beautiful sunrise. It's when their eyes are opened to the truth that they begin to appreciate what is in creation that speaks of the very attributes of God. One of the attributes of God was to love the world so much to give his only son and then by the power of his spirit raising from the dead and the sun coming up every morning speaks of the fact of God's grace working in our life that we have hope every single morning of our life. Let me give you to you this way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Let's just say it this way. They are new at every sunrise. Hmm. So two actions that I submit to us concerning being believers. And if you're not, you can uh, love this so much. Hallelujah. <sighs> I keep a good sense of humor when my mic falls off. Hallelujah. Two actions that I would say reveal the love of God through his church, through believers. And those two actions are, first, our service. Our service to others. See, Jesus was the perfect example of service. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. And when Jesus came to this earth, see, we just read a few minutes ago that God sent his son to do what? To save us. And greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That was Jesus' service to every one of us. And when we connect with the fact that that was his service to us, we understand that he loved us. We understand he came to die on that cross for us. Why would he do that unless he loved me? Does that make sense to you? If he didn't love us, he wouldn't do that. If we didn't love people, we will never serve them. Anybody race to serve somebody that they don't love or care about? See, I question whether Angie loves me if I say, hey, could you get me a cup of coffee? She goes, your legs aren't broke. <laughs> I'm like, do you love me? Don't you love me, baby? Right? Oh, praise God. It's not true. She gets me a cup of coffee pretty much whenever I ask. So. But you understand what I'm saying. You don't race to serve people you don't love, do you? Jesus raced to this earth to serve us by giving his life because he loved us. Amen? Listen to this. Uh, and that was John 15, 13, by the way, that scripture. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down one's life for his friends. John 15, 13. Listen to this quote by Billy Graham. 
God has given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. We are not cisterns made for hoarding. We are channels made for giving. I would say this, that when we uh, spend time with the Lord, when we come into close relationship and communion with Him, when we hang out with God, not just our friends, but we hang out with God in that alone time with God, there's just something that begins to happen. I can finish a lot of Angie's sentences because I've spent 23 years with her and I know her so well. She can finish mine. Angie knows what I'm thinking before I think it. And sometimes what I'm thinking is exactly what Angie tells me I need to be thinking. You understand? <laughs> I think it's the Holy Ghost in her trying to stay, you know. But that's the way it is when you commune with God, when you spend that time and you relate to God, He gets in you in a bigger way than you've ever known He could be. More and more and more. Can you have more of God? It's kind of like He's given to us, to every man, the measure of faith. Isn't that correct? We just read, the just shall live by faith. When we live by our faith, what happens is we become the manifestation of God. We become the ones that, if you will, unveil who he is. Why did God choose the foolishness of preaching? Because he wants to work with us to accomplish his purpose and mission. His heart towards mankind was revealed through His Son. Poured into those that come to faith. And once that takes place, we then become the ones that unveil. Now watch. So, some would say, well, yeah, we'll be buying that new one this week. <laughs> oh, man, praise God. This is a little frustrating. I'm going to bend my ear. All right, um, I know where I was now. Ah, oh, we become the ones. Thank you, honey. See, I told you, right? Uh, we become the ones. That basically, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. If God is invisible, it's because a person's not been born again. When a person's born again, they begin to see like they never saw before, as I said. And so it's unveiled. So we'll take this towel right here, and we're using that as an example. But see yourself. See yourself as the towel. That your flesh. The tent of your flesh. And when we sing in that song, and we're going to, you know, your fire. That God would, his fire would come down. And here's the thing about that statement. Get somebody in here that doesn't know anything about the Bible, and you start saying, your fire, fall down, your fire. They're like, your what? Why are you asking for fire to fall down? I just, you know, right? But when you understand something of scriptures and you look back on Elijah, someone that got close with God, and you're, and you're dealing with people who are worshiping the Baals, they called them, or if you want to, we could just say that false gods, all the exchange of worshiping God for worshiping the creation. That they began to worship the creation back then, it was the same thing. Worshipping man, the body of women, animals, that's what the Baals were. It was all the above. And the one true God was denied. Elijah comes on the scene and he has it out with the prophets of Baal. How many know this story? A few of you. I guess I got to tell it. 
So he, he gets on the scene and this moment takes place to where he says there's only one true God. And the Baal, you know, the, the prophets of Baal are like, no, there's many gods and so on. And so he goes, I'll tell you what you do. Build an altar. Build an altar. Put the sacrifice on it. And you call for your God. And the God who answers with fire is the one true God. So when we sing that song, there's scriptural reference to God coming in fire. Our God, the Bible says, is an all-consuming fire. And so... The prophets of Baal, they start you know, calling on their God, and they're just gone for it, you know. Elijah's over there going, so what's your God on a vacation? See, the reality is, is that it's an invisible God. You know, they worship these, the, the creation because it's visible. They can't bring themselves to worship the invisible God because the invisible God, worship of Him, takes faith. Somebody say faith. It takes faith to worship Him. And it's impossible to please God without faith. And so it requires us to step out like Peter did on the water to say, I'm going to step out in faith that you're there. And I promise you, he'll show you he's there. So what happens, Elijah, he's over there. He's like, so your God taking a vacation? He starts mocking him. My question is, would our faith be as strong as Elijah's faith since Jesus has already come, died on a cross, rose from the dead? Do we have the kind of faith that we'll step out and say, in confrontation, those are false gods, there is only one true God. Well, no, we can't do that because of pluralism, relativism, all the isms that are going on in our world today. If you preach that there's only one true God, you're narrow. Elijah was narrow. And so they continued. And they do something we see going on. It's interesting about worshiping false gods when a society goes that direction. The prophets of Baal start cutting themselves. We hear about all these kids cutting themselves. Let me tell you, that's not a new spirit. It's a spirit from old that's at work today in this generation and has only one goal in mind, and that is to keep them from worshiping the one true God where they'll find freedom from their torment. And they're over there slicing themselves up for God to show you power, and then Elijah's like, okay, enough. Now here's what I want you to do. You all were calling for fire on an offering that was dry. I want you to douse it. I want you to soak this thing. And they soak it down. And Elijah kneels and he prays. And all of a sudden out of the heavens comes this pillar of fire over the offering and sucks it all up. Every bit of it. The Bible talks it laps up even all the water. It just dries everything out and it consumes the sacrifice. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We are the altar. We're not just the altar. We're not just the altar. But, but we're the message. God's word living inside of us, looking for a way to get out looking for a way to get out through our actions of love, looking for a way to get out through our actions of forgiveness. Those are the two things that I would submit to you probably reveal more than anything we could do is our actions of love, excuse me, of love through service and forgiveness. That when we serve people, we're serving them what? Hopefully we're serving them love in all that we do. And it's definitely going to take forgiveness. That's the second point under love. 
our forgiveness. Why? Because <laughs> if you're around other people that need Jesus, you're going to need to forgive them, just like you need them to forgive you. And that was a wonderful, wonderful place for you all to say amen. How many of you need forgiveness? How many need forgiveness from your wife? You boys better be raising your hand, man. From, from your husbands. Come on, ladies. Right? From your children. Come on, parents. From your mom and dad. From your friends. From people you work with. From your boss. Some people work for their family members. You <laughs> yeah, man, it's all mixed up. So. Listen to this. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You think about seeing the invisible God, our service to others, coming along and sharing the love of Christ, an act of kindness, whatever it may be, but in the midst of interacting with people and helping people, how many of you know hurting people hurt people? Huh? You know, I'll tell you what, being a pastor, that's your life. You help people that are struggling with stuff or dealing with stuff or their marriage is falling apart or whatever it may be, and you start to help them, and the next thing you know, you're the bad guy. You know what I'm saying? You all get nervous. You're the bad guy all of a sudden. Look, if you're going to be a believer that will exemplify the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you can't keep it veiled is the point, right? You can't hide it. Does anybody light a lamp and set it under a basket? Do you hide the light or do you reveal the light? Do you unveil the light? Do you keep it out in the open so people can see it? The gospel of Jesus Christ, your faith in him, is the greatest hope of the world. He is the hope of the world. And the greatest hope of the world is that we won't keep it veiled under the tent of this flesh. And like, well, I have my relationship with God and I'm good. But it never moves you to the actions of showing that love through service and forgiveness. Why do I say that about forgiveness? I don't think that there's any greater challenge to the church. When we read uh, uh, John 3, I'm going to read the whole thing to you here. And this is kind of how we're going to move into wrapping up is, is really reflecting on what this scripture has to say. How many of you know what John 3, let's quote John 3, 16 together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let's go on. Right? Isn't that right? <laughs> let's read through it, uh, you know, from the beginning so that we can see it in its entirety. Listen, because that gives you true context of that passage. And here, here's kind of how it leads into it, is Jesus is talking to a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, like he came by night because he's veiling. I look, man, I don't want anybody to know that I'm seeking you out. I don't want anybody to know that I might believe in who you are. And so it's veiled. He comes veiled in the night. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see. Say, cannot see. If you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, 
How can a man be born, uh, born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Everybody's saying, no way. And the mamas in the house are saying, no way. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Two baptisms that we could refer to right there, and that's baptism in water when we become believers. Jesus said that go and baptize, and we are to be baptized and follow him in that pattern. That's born of water. Now you're born of your mama out of what? Her water does what? Everybody's like, man, you're getting gross in your sermon. No, you, the water breaks and you're coming, right? But when we get born again, we are baptized in water for the cleansing of our conscience. It's for, for our conscience that we know we have followed Christ in his baptism. And then what? The baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit is the other baptism that we need. Because why? We need to be born of both. He goes on, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you uh, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify um, testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, right now we're getting ready to go into that verse we all know so well. But when we think about it, what Jesus does, he starts late. He's sharing what we share, the gospel. We testify of what we've seen. It's like, well, you haven't seen God. I've seen God work in my life. I've seen God work through other people to me. I know times in my life when I've been in Say a funk, right? Anybody ever been in a funk? You know what a funk is, right? Let's do it this way. A trench, right? A grave with no ending. <laughs> that you get in that slump or you, you're just not living right and you don't know how to make right decisions and you, you're left all to yourself and you're not calling on God because you don't feel like you can approach Him. Because you're on, under condemnation. Because of your actions. That's when it's good to have other people that unveil Jesus to you and I've shared the story about when I was in Ohio that I was in a funk I was in a mess I was living in sin even though I had been saved don't stare at me like that you all have done it too right come on and this woman right through her eyes I'll never forget I was mean she says I grew horns I don't believe it I never saw horns in a picture but she's talking about the kind where you're being influenced by the devil, not by God, right? I'm angry all the time. Anybody ever been that way? Some of you are that way right now, you know? I see some elbows flying, right? But I'll never forget when God convicted me. He sent his spirit. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to convict us. The Holy Spirit has come to convict us so that we will repent and come into righteousness. Not our own. 
but that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. And I remember looking at Angie and saying, baby, I am sorry for the way that I've been. And could you forgive me? And I will never forget, never forget when she looked at me and said, oh, honey, I've already forgiven you. What I saw in her eyes, because as mean as I was and all the dis all the time, how in the world could she muster that kind of forgiveness for that kind of stupidity? It was Christ living in her. It was Christ being unveiled in her actions towards me. It was, it was this creation, just like we'll see a sunrise, it was this creation of God. I don't worship her, but this creation of God revealed his attributes, his godliness, his divine nature, because it is divine nature to forgive people when they do wrong. And she revealed that to me because of Christ living in her. She was able to release me from that. And therefore, our relationship continued on and became better and better and better. You could have said amen there. <laughs> so, listen to this as it goes on. What verse was I on? Oh, yeah. First John 3.16, right? So, so it builds all the way up to this point, And then it goes into, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, listen to this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I could think of the opposite of condemnation as being the extending of forgiveness, which is the manifestation of God's love. Jesus coming to serve mankind, not to condemn us through his service, but rather to become a sacrifice on our behalf and then extend his forgiveness to us that's his love being manifest listen as it goes on <clears throat> that through him it might be saved he who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of god and this is the condemnation that the light has come into uh into the dark excuse me into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. Now, I want to share with you as we close here. I want to read this to you from Wikipedia. I want to read the whole thing to you. Some of it is just information, and, and I think you'll grasp that if, if we're going to be the kind of people that sees the invisible God, then he's got to be revealed. Amen? He, can't be he needs to not be invisible, if you will. We just read here about coming into the light. The Bible says that God is light. God's love and he's light. Now listen to this for a second. Invisibility is the state of an object that cannot be seen. Okay? An object in this state is said to be invisible. Literally, not visible. The term is often used 
in fantasy, science, fiction, um, or where objects are literally made uh, unseeable by magical or uh, technological means. However, its effects can also be demonstrated in the real world, particularly in in physics and um, uh, perceptual psychology classes. Since objects can be seen, listen to this, by light in the visible spectrum from a source reflecting off the surface and hitting the viewer's eye. The most natural form of invisibility, whether real or fictional, is an object that neither reflects nor absorbs light. That is, it allows light to pass through it. This is known as transparency. All of creation around us speaks of the invisible attributes of God. Think about it this way. Everything you see, when you see it, when the sun rises, and I don't know about you if you've ever watched the sunrise here and it hits that mountain and the mountain turns purple and you're going, awe. Awe belongs to God. When you look up the word awe, you're going to find out that, you know, yeah, the guy dunks a basketball. Awesome. Not really. Not really. When the sun comes up in the morning and just keeps on coming around, coming up, and you get to see everything that goes on around you, it is light. The reason we see is because of light. When it speaks to the fact of transparency, you remember Jesus when he was with his disciples on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> Praise God. When he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's called the Mount of Tabor. Or Mount Tabor. And he's up there and he's praying. Peter, James, and John, his three, you know, comrades, always with him. What was called the inner circle. They're hanging out up there, Peter, James, and John do what the disciples always did when Jesus prayed, and that is sleep. It's what we do. It's like, oh, Jesus, you know, right? All of a sudden, Peter wakes up from his sleep and sees Jesus, kind of sees him, because the Bible speaks of it as he was transfigured, transformed, right before their eyes. And if you go and study it out, he was translucent. And almost, you could almost, like, you see him, but you don't. Like, you see through him. Can't quite. I mean, you're talking about when he shows up, and you got a guy who's struggling to believe in Jesus. When he shows up after the resurrection, and he walks into the room, and you, you know, you got a guy who's saying, I won't believe unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hand and my hand in his side. Right? And uh, Jesus just kind of walks through the wall. Hey, what's up? Transparency. Translucent, unobstructed by objects. Nothing can stand in his way, especially sin. Because he transcends it all. And comes through it because he is light. And his light is manifest in the place of love. And we unveil the invisible God when we let his love work through us in service and forgiveness. When we serve others with his love. 
and we forgive them when they fall short. Because chances are, every single one of us are going to fall short in one way or another in, in uh, a relationship that we're in in, in just some fashion or another. Why? Because we're all working out our salvation. Say that with me, working out our salvation. Has anybody in here arrived? Raise your hand. if you. Man, I've arrived, man. I know. I'm, I'm like, I am like Jesus completely. Nobody, nobody, no takers on that, right? So we're all heading in that direction. It's important for us to recognize that seeing the invisible God, why he chose to do it through us is beyond me sometimes. You know as well as I do that God could just part the sky. One day he will, by the way. The heavens will roll back like a scroll and Jesus will come back riding on a white horse. Fire in his eyes. The Bible says a tongue like a sword. There's the sword right there. It pierces. It pierces through. It divides asunder. It separates joints from marrow. The word has a way to speak to us. It sees us exactly where we are. And it lets us know that he's not as invisible as we think that he is. Because when the word speaks to us like that, we know he's here. And I may not see him with my natural eyes, but I certainly see him with my spiritual eyes. The Bible says that spiritual things are not carnally discerned. The kingdom of God, this is what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. You can't enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. You must be born of water and spirit. He talks to him about understanding, well, you see the wind. Or you know, you, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. Anybody drive in this morning and see all the dust kicking up this morning here in Colorado, right? It's like, where's that dust coming? That dust just decided, like, I'm going to jump up off the earth here and just float around. No, the wind caused that. And when the kingdom of God manifests, when there is something visible, it's because the spirit of God is moving in us and manifesting his attributes out of us. All this around us, the whole world, functions off of the words that God spoke. Go back and read the book of Genesis, and you'll see right there that everything you see going on around us outside every day is because of words that God spoke into existence. Christianity, our faith, God visible through us in our actions of showing love through our service and our forgiveness towards others. Because God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. is manifest right there and shown forth for us to live out so others can see it. Now, Doubting Thomas was a perfect example of who we all are at times. Who we were before we believed. And here's the deal. We got a blessing from Jesus. Did you know that? Has anybody got to put their finger in the hole in his hand? How about in his side where he was pierced with the spear? No. Jesus says, blessed are they who believe and have not seen. Because we don't see with natural eyes. We see with the eyes of the spirit and coming into faith that way. Jesus called us blessed. Say, I'm blessed. So uh, listen to this. Visibility also depends on the eyes of the observer and or the instruments used. Thus, an object can be classified as invisible to a person 
animal, instrument, etc. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled for those who are perishing. Why? Because the light, the Bible says, the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not shining on their spiritual eyes. Do you understand? They can't see it yet because they've not heard it or had it acted out in their life to where they too could come to the faith and see the, you know, if you will, the uh, paradox of it, see the invisible God. How do you see something invisible? You see in the eyes of the spirit. Do you see your spirit? Do you know you're born again? Do you know the spirit of God lives in you? Did you know the moment that you were brought back to life, regenerated? You have a spirit. You can't see your spirit, but you certainly know its influence is going on, right? Huh? People in the world, people who haven't been born again, what do they do? They don't even know they're sinning. They don't even consider it. They just do it and there's no, it is what it is. But boy, once you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you go the wrong way, you talk to somebody the wrong way, you treat somebody wrong, something happens to you. That part of you that's invisible, that's been born again, connected to God, begins to say, hey, that is not what you should do in that situation. Can you say amen to that? Stand your feet with me if you would. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, as we, uh, as we continue to live out our relationship with you, Father, that where you are invisible in that sense to the carnal man, invisible to the natural aspect of who we are, God, you're very visible, Lord, in all the attributes of your divine nature. And Lord, you've chosen through our faith in Jesus Christ to make yourself known through us to others. So Lord, I pray that as we live and walk out this, uh, this love relationship with you, that Father, we could display that to others through our service to them. And Father, our ability to walk in forgiveness in the midst of any situation that we may face. Jesus, I am always challenged by the words that you've spoken. It seems so contrary to what we want to do. But Lord, when we're faithful to follow you in your guidance and leadership, to love our enemies, to, uh, Father, return kindness for evil, all those things that challenge our natural way of thinking. When we do it, Father, we see you work. So, Lord, I pray in our lives, be it in uh, family, marriages, work, wherever we're at, that, God, we would make ourselves, Lord, more available to you to display, God, your invisible characteristics through your creation, us in particular. I thank you for every person in this room today, God, and I pray your blessings on them. I pray, God, that as they leave here today, these things would remain in their mind and heart. That, Father, they would seek you to be used by you to unveil, Lord, your love and divine attributes to others around them that they too might see how good you are. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.